Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis and New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Cam uh, from Boney. I'm super excited about today's podcast slash Zoom slash Facebook Live. The first one we've done like this, so I'm super excited. Um, today's an episode where I'll actually be talking very little or none at all. We have an, uh, an esteemed panelist uh, uh, panel to discuss uh, black and brown relationships, among other things. So I'm going to turn it over to Jonah, uh, who will lead the discussion. So hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. Thank you for um, coming to this uh, session of... Um, Hopes and Dreams, as I call it, um, Benghazi, New York, and the Blindian Project. So Benghazi, New York, uh, approached me about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and wanted to put a, um event of, of some sort on. They wanted to collaborate and, and talk about um, a lot of things that are going on with our communities, Black community, um, Black Lives Matter, um, as well as speaking about um, anti-Blackness in the South Asian community. Um, I was more than happy to do that, and um, here we are. Um, Hopes and Dreams is uh, something that I put together. Um, I run a uh, platform called The Blindian Projects that celebrates uh, Black and South Asian relationships. Um, just really wanted to, to figure out a way to uh, speak to the community um, at a different level, find out about them, find out about uh, things that they hope for, figure out about their dreams, things that they were struggling with, um, and things they were trying to um, just overcome, really. So um, we've started these sessions, and I thought, you know what, this is a great way to um, bring the conversation over here, have a cross-community conversation, uh, Black, South Asian, Bengali, um, et cetera, um, and just talk about everything that's uh, kind of happening to us and that we're all experiencing. So um, that's a little bit of an intro. Um, let's give an introduction of the people on the, the panel here. Sure. My name is Druva. Um, I'm a writer, a uh, journalist. Uh, I've written a series of essays on anti-blackness and have given a lecture at Goldsmiths in London last year. Um, my work is somewhere between culture and politics and the space the two occupy within one another. Thanks, Druva. Hi, I'm Lala. Um, Boston born and raised. I'm a creative here living in the city of Boston and I've really been trying to speak out about this and really take the time to educate and tell people how they can help out. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to be a part of this conversation. Hello, everybody. My name is Marco Glorious. I am a television producer for a very popular daytime talk show, uh, The Wendy Williams Show, as well as uh, an event host and an actor. Um, as of late, I've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of thinking and uh, just trying to use my voice and my platform in a way to uh, really continue the movement that's been taking place. Hi everyone, my name is Rachel Sawyer. Um, I work in higher education, um, specifically focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, working with students to understand um, different aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion more, and also working with staff and faculty as well. Okay, I think it's over to myself, Jonah Batumzi, um, multidisciplinary creative, uh, founder of the Blinia Project, as I said, um, celebrates Black and South Asian relationships. 
um, talks about a variety of things. It'll talk about things from colorism to arranged marriages to um, uh, all of that type of good stuff. So um, uh, spans both cultures. I have two young kids, so I um, really have a, um, an urge to, you know, to be fighting, you know, for for the black communities as well as fighting for um, South Asian and brown communities. So. Um, I feel a bit biased at times that I'm fighting both fights at the same time, but um, there you go. So, okay, right. So we, we've introduced the panel. We've talked about this hopes and dreams. Um, I think let's just go ahead and let's go ahead and, and jump into it. So I think we're living in a, a really interesting time. Um, this has felt really different um, for me. Um, let me just say that I am Ugandan American, born in the States. I've lived in the States for about 20 years. I've been living in England for about the last kind of 10 to 13 years. So um, I see things a bit differently at times, but um, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm still there, um, even though I'm, I'm not there physically. So one of the things I've been really thinking about is um, why now, why this time has been so different. Um, we've seen Philando Castile, you know, getting shot um, in his car with his wife and his daughter in the back seat. We've seen Alton Sterling. We, we've seen Walter Scott. We've seen so many different people um, being abused, um, murdered, killed by the police. Why has this time um, been different? What has been um, different about the George Floyd situation and why are people um, taking a note to this? You know something, Jonah? I think this time it's, it's different because yes, we've seen people now uh, being killed on black people being killed on on video but with the George Floyd incident I think it was just very shocking to see the time frame the the length of time that the officer had his knee on this man's neck and just the blatant disregard for for life and and humanity after you hear uh, the people that were watching this take place saying, hey, hey, you're killing him, you know, like, get your knee off of his neck. Mm -hmm. I think it really struck a chord here in the States. And people are fed up. People are tired. People have, you know, every person of color, in my opinion, has, has their own story. Uh, definitely, I would say oh, every black man has their own personal story of racism. I have my own personal stories. I have my own personal stories uh, of, uh, with the police as well, where if I, uh, you know, there's been times where I fit the description. And mm. if I had, a, you know, maybe had a bad day or if I had, you know, maybe mouthed off to the police officer or, you know, appeared more nervous than I actually was, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. So it, it, for me, this is a very passionate topic. Um, I consider myself uh, to be a, a pretty cultured individual, pretty, you know, I, I, I love culture and I applaud it. My background is my, my father is from Bombay, Mumbai, India, and my mother is a, a, a black Caribbean woman from St. Kitts. Um, and I was born here in the States, but priding myself on being a cultured individual, I have love for all different ethnicities and cultures. And now is a time where all this is happening in order for, uh, for it to really get over 
the hump it's going to take all different cultures uh, and, and having conversations like we are having now for us to get over the hump with this. But I think now <laughs> I've been hearing this quote, this phrase that this is going to be the last generation that, you know, that has to do this, that has to, to, to protest and really fight, mm. you know, and I hope that is the case. Mm. I think it's a beautiful point of time right now that we're at, right? Uh, because previously, I think each and every one of us individually felt like if there was something that we thought had to be said, we felt a pressure to really not, to really not like um, express ourselves. But now the time being is that the trend is to be woke. The trend is to speak up. And I think I think it's a it's, it's a nice time for a change like this. And yeah. Um, yeah. sorry, quick quick question. Let me just ask this question right now. So um, this is directed to predominantly South Asian people. So when Philando Castile and when all of these other names that I've called out um, happened, what were you what were you thinking? What were you guys saying within your community? Guys and gals saying within your communities, were people trying to talk about it. This is the first time that I've actually had my head um, in the South Asian community to see the support is strong, but what were people saying other times? See, I, I feel like it was probably strong back then as well, but this time around, the support came from all sides. I think it might've been because Ahmad Arbery happening first and then the Central Park lady situation happening. Um, whole uh, it just cascaded down and with the george floyd situation it boomed out out and now we have the protest that we are seeing so i think it was just everything happening in a small span of time not that it, it hasn't been happening from the beginning it has but it just it got media attention this time to this ex extreme situation and because of the quarantine Situation. Mm -hmm. People actually have time. People actually have time to invest in this and 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 feel have the time to express what they really feel. They're not, you know, like just going out to protest and everything. I think it's it's it's, it's the right time. Everything just merged on together to actually have this movement. Mm. I also think the murder encapsulated so much of what is broken within America. Like we're still living in the middle of a global pandemic of the size and propor proportion that you know, we're, we're yet to fully realize and the ramifications of which will be felt for a generation to come. I think the murder of George Floyd specifically put on display that amidst all the horrific realities of what the pandemic has brought to light, a black life was deemed insignificant enough to Crazy. murder in broad daylight with no fears of a repercussion. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking. Is the pandemic not enough to... Um, exactly. Can you guys not chill out for long enough to let this <laughs> pandemic pass? It was like, no, we got we to gotta, we gotta throw this into the mix. And it was just absolutely crazy um, that we wanted to take this on um, at this point in time. But I, I guess we don't have a choice, really, right? Um, things happen, and then we decide to respond to them um, as, as we'd like to, really. Yeah, and I, uh, sorry, I didn't know if you were... No, it's all right. No, 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 go on. Yeah, I definitely agree with every, everything everyone has been saying. And two, looking at, like, unemployment rates going up, right? All you have mm. to do, like, people are sitting in their homes watching the news constantly um, and being told to stay home. And that's kind of where I, I feel like the the feel the feeling and need to go out and protest 
um, and saying, you know, uh, I could sit here and watch this or I can go and take action. And I agree, you know, I think the con- the back-to-back murders, um, Breonna Taylor, Tony Davis, um, uh, Christian Cooper, um, getting the police called on, things like that. Um, I think a lot of me as a black woman, you know, I've been fed up for years, but I feel like now people mm-hmm. are like, oh, wow, you know, um, black people are being killed every single day. Um, you know, we can actually go out and do something about it. And, and, and I think that it's, it's really great to see people um, cross-culturally caring about the Black community. Yeah. Any, anybody else want to chip in on, on this point or? Yeah, I'll, I'll share my piece. So I actually haven't been able to bring myself to fully watch the clip, but just from the, like hearing Ooh. about what happened is enough, I feel like, to really be an outrage, to feel like you have to go out there despite a pandemic going on and, like, speaking up about it. I feel like a lot of people, you know, never saw this happening. They heard about it. They heard about it. They heard about it. But then when you actually get to finally see it and you see the disregard for a human life, it's like, how can you not be outraged? How can you not want to speak up? And I think that that's what's really getting the people out there. When I went to my first protest, which was like probably one of the first weekends they started in Boston, everybody was there. And I was like, I can't even believe this because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like people aren't even afraid of catching this anymore. They're just like, we have to be out here and speak up. And I think that speaks volumes. And I think it's really important that this is happening and we're like fighting the good fight. And I really hope that, you know, this is the last generation that has to do that. Yeah. So, So I think, um, so I, so my background, um, where I grew up outside of Chicago, it was, it was essentially the cornfields of Illinois. So, um, probably about 80%, let's call it 75% white conservative, um, college, college campus town. So, um, like if you look at my Facebook friends and my feed, like I probably have about 85, 90% like white, let's call it right. So one thing that's really always pissed me off, quite frankly, is when a lot of this stuff happens, a lot of my white friends aren't saying anything. It's just as if um, it's another day. Um, they're talking about shopping. They're talking about um, their kids. They're talking about, they're not talking about what's important. That's on my mind. So because I start, because I fo- decided to focus on the Blending Project from the beginning of this year, I've had my head in, I'm on, you know, feminist South Asian sites. I'm on all different types of sites. And I've noticed that like from the South Asian community, I felt a really strong um, showing of kind of solidarity or support um, almost. Um, what, what kind of similarities or intersections have you seen with um, Black Lives Matter and um, this whole kind of discussion around anti-Blackness in South Asian communities? So I think the biggest thing I'd like to discuss here is caste. Um, I think the Dalit Lives Matter, to not take anything away from the importance of BLM, but I think Dalit Lives Matter has gained momentum since the global prominence of BLM because it's brought to light the atrocities Dalit lives suffer on an almost daily basis across India. Like in the last month alone, two Dalit men were murdered in India. Uh, Viraj Vilas Jagtap in Maharashtra for falling in love with a girl from upper caste. A 17-year-old boy was, was killed for praying at a Hindu temple. A 14-year-old Dalit student, Devika, committed suicide since she couldn't access online classes during India's lockdown. In Nepal, four Dalit men were murdered by an entire village. I believe that the intersection is simple, right? Like human lives matter. And South Asian society, including the diaspora, and I include 
myself here base so many interactions on skin color, on caste and class. Dalit lives have been oppressed for millennia and there is barely a political power fighting for their equality amidst the horrors they face. I think the intersection is colorism, isn't it? The prejudice and discrimination faced by individuals with a dark skin tone in the community, despite belonging to the same racial group, is racist. It constitutes racism. So I think that the intersection between the two is the oppression that we still find in South Asian society, but we aren't talking about it. Mm. No, it's, it, it's, it's a good point. I think, um, I, so I, yeah, again, I'm biased, right? I have two kids. I have two, a six and a four-year-old. So I'm always thinking about um, uplifting the black side of them, but also mm. trying to beat everything down that may be negative in the South Asian side of them as well, too. Um, but um so I definitely feel as if um, if I'm speaking to somebody about colorism on the South Asian side and I'm making progress there, that is um, that is that's positive for uh, a, a black person, somebody yeah. who who is black. It's just this um, to use anti-blackness. It's a um, negativity towards the color black for whatever different reason. Exactly. So, so I so so I see the intersection. Me personally, intersections are clear there for me. Mm. But I think it's not clear for a lot of people. And to actually jump on a point you said earlier, I think just like you said, how white people are kind of going back to like, that was just a normal day. And now it's just a normal day again, posting mm. photos or whatever they want. I can see that among South Asian friends. I can see that in the South Asian community. It's like, because the protests stopped being violent, the media stopped talking about it. Oh, sorry. The protests were never violent because the media stopped dictating that the protests were violent, they stopped talking about it, which meant that the people stopped caring to the volumes that they were previously. And I think then they can turn a blind eye to what's actually happening back home, back in the motherland, when atrocities still take place. I think that's where the intersection lies, is that people decide to pick and choose rather than actually showing solidarity all around. Which is why I feel like social media is so important right now, because here in the States, if it wasn't for social media, <laughs> uh, in the case of Ahmaud Arbery, those gentlemen, those three individuals would still be free. Um, mm. Same thing with, you know, George Floyd. Without, without social media, we would not have seen the actual footage of him being murdered. Um, I think that's with, with any injustice towards humanity, I think now social media is such an important tool. It's such a powerful tool that if you keep your, 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 keep the pedal to the metal, so to speak, and really continue to push what you are standing up for, it's going to tri trickle down to individuals that either follow you, that know you, and it's going to make them do the same thing or at least have conversations. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, this is what has galvanized so many people right now. Um, Breonna Taylor, people, you know, for a while, uh, it was saying that, you know, her name was no longer trending. And, you know, once that started to uh, be known, people started to post again and really, mm. you know, we're trying to get those officers that, were in that involved in that situation, in that event, arrested as well, because one out of the three has been fired, and people are gonna forget. If 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 you are if we're right now, if we're not using social media, our platforms as a tool to really take a stance and show 
the injustice that's taking place, what are what what you believe may fall by the wayside, and that 100%. that right now is 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 to me is one of the most important things that people have to do. No matter what you think, your social media now, no matter how big or how small is your platform, is your voice. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I think about this thing about um, people talking about draining the swamp. Trump and the Trump and the and Co talking about they want to drain the swamp. Like, I really feel like, and I'm not even so super involved in it but like anytime any of these ceos who are talking about and we'll get onto it later talking about all lives matter come out here talking crazy about all this other stuff you know what i mean your time is is limited now you want to put out a statement like that for your organization um it's only so long till someone catches wind um and then you will be blacklisted so you can step down you can make the comment if you want to make, sorry, you can make the comment if you want to make the comment. If you make the comment, you're likely going to be stepping down, stepping away from the business for some point in time. Um, the, the, the shit's just not flying anymore. Same with the statues as well, too. Like um, Nobody is trying to um, have been oppressed for 400 years and then walk by a statue every day that's telling them, this is the Confederacy, um, you need to remember slavery again. No one's thinking about that anymore. I think... Any, and you're seeing all of the police chiefs starting to step down now um, because they already know they're not they're not in for it. They're 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 just trying to step away um, because they already know what the situation is when um, the the spotlight comes to them. That's my personal feeling. That's my personal feeling. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, you can go if you want. No, I'm sorry, Rachel. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that colorism is um, the, sibi- the sibling of anti-blackness, right? Um, I think um, darker people, even non-black darker people experience discrimination, kind of like the caste system um, that was being discussed earlier. Um, and so I think that especially in all communities, I can, for example, from being from the black community, I had to decolonize my mind and say, you know, I have advantages as a light-skinned black woman that darker-skinned black women don't have, and I need to use that to, to give them a platform. Um, and so I think that's important in any community um, because you have to understand like where did I learn this anti-blackness um, and how is it perpetuated and how, you know, how can I de- like decolonize and reflect every day? Like how can I uh, essentially work to use my privileges or things like that to to start having those conversations even when it can be uncomfortable? I think that's so important to um, really start talking about anti-blackness and colorism and things like that in the communities of especially people of color color as well. Hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, and you know, I wanted to add a little bit. Something that I've seen and I noticed um, honestly at the beginning of this and that I've been super, super proud of is that people are using this moment. And I don't I don't think I know we're gonna get to it a little bit later, but I don't think that this takes away from the Black Lives Matter movement at all. But people have really been addressing within their own communities, their cultural communities their own issues with prejudice and and colorism. And I think that you have to do that. Like, I feel like that's a great way of fighting this fight. I think it's a way of saying, you know, we can't be out here shouting Black Lives Matter, but don't want to marry a Black person Mm -hmm. or say, like, don't, you know, be friends with them when you go to school and stuff like that. We have to address our own colorism and prejudices within our community if we really want to understand and fight this fight. Um, Because at the end of the day, we're all humans. And I think that that's been one of the things that I've really been proud of seeing. I've seen, you know, South Asians do it. I've seen 
North Asians do it, um, you know, and a lot of different ethnicities, even like I live in an area where there's um, a lot of Cape Verdeans and I don't know how many people are familiar, but like Cape Verde is, you know, a part of Africa and they, a lot of, there's this typical thing that they will not claim that they are black at all. Um, and that's- What do they that, say they are then? What are they? Exactly. Are they? They're, they're Portuguese. They? Okay. <laughs> So okay. that's that's what they will say, and that's a problem. And if you don't start to address those issues, that that cycle is going to continue on and on. And I think that those things need to be addressed. And I think that it's really important. So I don't think it takes away from the movement. I think it really like gets to the root of the problem, honestly. Yeah. So so just to your point, Lala. So I think what it was is I saw a. This is probably about a week and a half, two weeks into it, and. Um, uh, the gentleman was from London and he went on and um, I kind I felt what he was saying somewhat, but for me, because I'm in both camps, because I'm in this blending relationship, it threw me off. And he was just basically saying like, look, if you're using this moment to talk about um, colorism or you want to marry your black boyfriend, then you're doing the wrong thing, honey, is basically what he was saying. But for me, it was like, look, this whole spectrum of blackness. Now, if somebody's speaking to their auntie and uncle and their mama and all of these other people about um, uh, blackness and they're getting them to think differently about it, then when I'm out out and about at the grocery store and I see these people, like they're going to think, do you know what I mean? That is just one less reduction of an interaction that I'm having during the day that I don't need to have because somebody has educated somebody else. So it is interrelated. No one can tell me that it's not interrelated. Um, And it is, if it's done genuinely, then it's done from the right place, right? Mm -hmm. It is done from the right place. So um, I don't think that um, these anti-Blackness conversations are detracting from um, the George Floyd situation. If you want to sign a petition, if you want to talk about um, defunding the police, you can still do that. Um, But let's have other conversations concurrently. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. In the United States, I feel like that, you know, since Black people have had to go through so much, essentially the struggle with racism has been not, not easier for other minorities. Not to say that it's easy at all, but I think with Indian people, uh, Asians, uh, Latinos, you know, they've they've witnessed what black people have had to go through you know what i mean and some have had to go through the same struggles similar struggles as well but it's you know just slavery being so prolific in this country has i think people have to keep in mind black people have made have taken a lot of the 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 force when it comes to racism already in this country and the fact that we're having other, you know, now um, Native Americans are, 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 are feeling stronger, are getting strengthened with the BLM movement and other minorities are, are being they? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen well, that. So uh, right now they're talking about, so Mount Rushmore, uh, they're talking yeah. about, like, I think, so President Trump is supposed to be, uh, I think, the, the day before Independence Day here in the States. President Trump is supposed to be doing uh, some sort of uh, speech or event 
near or near around Mount Rushmore. And Native Americans are rallying right now to have Mount Rushmore taken down. And really? I'm, I'm shocked because Mount Rushmore, you know, obviously has been such a, a iconic uh, <laughs> uh, statue, if you will, or, uh, for such a long time that, wow, it's not like, to me, Mount Rushmore is not like a typical statue where you could just tear it down. But I think you have to, you have to keep in mind the history behind all of these things, all of these statues, every individual that has been heralded for a certain amount of time in this country or throughout this country's history, it's not good, you know, and people have to associate it. Like people, when, when you make the, the, the comparison that the Confederate flag is to a black person, what the, the swastika is to a Jewish person, it's like, no, oh, now they get it, but like, how could you not get that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, 100%, 100%. Maybe they've never actually even thought about it in that, in that detail, but, um, to be fair, until until I started speaking with um, this psychologist a bit more, I um, mean, she brought trauma up to me, and we started talking about generational trauma and racial trauma and things like this. I didn't think about it in that way, but imagine like somebody doesn't know the history, um, their family were slaves, and now every day on their way to work, they need to walk past this statue of some guy who was a, a famous slave owner, and everybody's like revering this guy. You know, yeah. it's not on. Uh, I yeah. just wanted to ask. Can I jump on? Yeah. So um, I just saw a post somewhere where it said that, like, if, if you paint a picture, like you're in Germany and um, your ancestors were in Auschwitz and you see a statue of Hitler um, just up there and you're offended by it. And you say that I want to take taken down because this offends me. And then somebody else comes up and says that, well, this is my heritage, my family and ancestry uh, were um, Nazis, so I will not let it be taken down. And that's basically what's happening here, if you compare it. Like, you know, we have um, this, uh, the Confederates uh, just going around, and it, I, I just think it, it's ridiculous that they even think that it's okay to to take it as, like your ancestry, a symbol of your ancestry, when it has obviously been so traumatic for so many families. Yeah, you I know? think this gets into in the privileged conversation, but I'll say I'll personally save that for later. Um, anyone else want to chime in on this uh, bit or? Yeah, I wanted to mention uh, generational trauma and racial trauma. So I read uh, Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Um, I'm blanking on the author's name, but she talks about how generational trauma is actually biological now. So we're born with it. Black people are born with. Um, you know, uh, for example, anxiety, um, certain gotcha. anxiety. All right. So you're yeah. a baby about to come into this world. You, you haven't done anything, but yeah. because your mother, um, experienced it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You and, um, get it. Yeah, you're yeah. And we're not that far removed from, you know, like slavery and things like that. And, um, you know, a lot of the things that things in the black community that we do, for example, making sure our child is close to us, not not like letting uh, like our child run around the store, like you might see some white folks do, for example. Um, you know, that was, uh, she talked about the comparison during slavery because we wanted to keep 
um, the, the black mothers wanted to keep their child, child close because they were afraid that they were going to be sold off, things like that. They want to protect them. So I thought that was very interesting, the generational trauma piece and how we are a product of our ancestors. And then also, while we live with generational trauma, we're getting racial trauma on top of that. Like, so everyday microaggressions or blatant racism. Um, and it's almost like you're getting, you know, someone compared it to, um, you know, if you're being punched, you know, you get punched one, once a day, um, you're eventually going to have all these scars. Um, and people are like, why, why only punched you once? But it's like you have all of these, these racial assaults on you every single day. Um, and that contributes to your racial trauma. Um, and I think that's so important that a lot of people don't talk about in terms of mental health and um, especially with people of color and particularly the black community. So I thought that was really... 100%. Yeah, it's very in- interesting the combination of both the generational and racial trauma. You may not, you may not even uh, uh, understand it yourself, to be honest. Um, you may not know what's going on, really. Um, I know a lot of people who um, African Americans who may not know where they originate from um, naturally. You know, they don't know where the home is, um, and then they have all of this other stuff flying about. Um, it's just very, it can be very, very unsettling, um, to the point that other people don't even notice that, but this, that comes into this whole privilege bit because they don't ever need to consider this type of stuff. They don't need to think about these type of things. So let's just, let's just slide into there. Does anyone else have any comments on the, but we're just talking about, okay, cool. Right. So I have a, um, again, going back to my, my life, um, I grew up uh, in the Midwest, cornfields. I had a friend probably about age of 11, 12. I played basketball with him um, and really, really good friends, white guy. Um, and recently we've been having a lot of conversations. And um, this comment or this phrase of all lives matter came up. Um, and I had to ask him as soon as he threw that up, have you Googled that to see what it actually means? And he just said, I don't need to Google it. And my only thought was, well, obviously you do need to Google it because you don't know what it actually means. So um, I've also been on a lot of um, South Asian sites as well, too, where people are saying, um, because obviously the publications and organizations, they they switched in their mindset as well, too. They needed to be current. They needed to be relevant. It was almost as if let's have some comment that um, relates to this BLM movement. Um, and, um, so, um, we've had this thing come up and some people, they're completely clueless and they're saying, um, what about my life? Well, all lives matter. Um, why are they just talking about black lives matter? So does anybody want to address why all lives matter? Maybe, um, something that's a bit, um, controversial. Of course, all lives matter. Like, I, I hate when I hear people say this. Of course, all lives matter. But all lives aren't being killed right now. Right now, the problem is, in, the, in this country, <laughs> that Black people are being killed. The, the, the system, it's, 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 we are systematically being targeted. It's been happening for hundreds of years. So when people say Black lives matter, it's not that your life doesn't matter it's that you're not being killed your your people aren't being killed on a regular basis we are seeing this now that it's that's a very frustrating thing to me when i hear that and yeah uh, most of the time when people say that it's just like you're not really you're not really thinking uh 
What about do so, they ever do they do they ever reason with you or or is it just like a hopeless conversation? Well, nowadays people aren't having that particular conversation with me. Um, I'm getting you know different conversations. Like a friend of mine, uh, he he he's he's a police officer, right? And he's a friend of a friend, and you know, for I've been posting certain things on my social media and. He decided, so I posted Rayshard Brooks's murder in Atlanta Mm -hmm. at the Wendy's uh, Mm drive-thru. And it got a lot of, you know, views. People started commenting and debating underneath the post. And him being a police officer, so after I posted Rayshard Brooks' video, video of that murder, I posted another video of police officers dealing with a, a white man. And they were tasing him. And he was fighting back, like literally hitting, coming to blows with the officers. They kept trying to tase him. They couldn't control him. He ran out of a, it might have been a fast food restaurant, I believe. Um, And he ran out and he was fine. Uh, So I posed the question. I was like, what what do you think the difference is between these two videos? Mm. So he joins in on the discussion. He's like, well, there were different officers and the, the, uh, the second guy didn't um, take the officer's taser and and use it against him. And I'm like, all right, so now so now you're just trying to take that approach on this situation because this is one of many <laughs> that, that have been happening in this country. And so it was obvious to me, like, yes, you're a police officer, this is your approach. But at the end of the day, in this particular uh, situation with Rayshard Brooks, he fell asleep in the drive-through. Yes, that was wrong, right? They pull him over. He's dealing with the police officer. The initial police officer seemed like he was able to reason with Rayshard Brooks. They were and good. That was cool. They were good. They were good, man. They were good. Yeah. He yeah. should have just let him just walk to the house and just like, just get home. Leave your car or, here. Get home. Being that you're a police officer and you you are here to protect and serve, maybe offer to take him home. Maybe have him call an Uber. Give him a mm-hmm. ticket. Give him a citation for being, you know, publicly intoxicated or something like that if you want to penalize him. But, okay, they have the conversation. And when, you know, even during the conversation, Ray Sharp was like, he says, I understand that you're doing your job, you know. But the fear that a black man has when you're dealing with the police, I don't think people get that. Like, anytime I've ever gotten pulled over, the, <laughs> my nerves go straight through the roof. You know what I mean? Because, and it's just something... Right now, it's just instinctual when I <laughs> when I see sirens in the back of my rearview mirror. So, mm-hmm. him now about to get arrested. Yeah, he should not have resisted because it's not the smart. It's not the smart thing to do for a black person to resist. You, you see how it ends up. You know what I mean? But I was so adamant about saying, you know, for every officer that says, "Well, he took my he took the officer's taser and he tased them." Yeah okay, he was wrong for that too, but he was provoked to a certain degree. But after that, he was running away. So now the threat, if that officer thought there was some sort of threat towards his life or anything, now that the, the, the suspect or whatever you want to call him is running away from you, 
Now the threat is decreasing. You should feel a little bit more, yeah. Yeah. still a little, bit, a little bit more comfortable. Maybe call for backup if you still want to arrest this individual or whatever you want to do. But now he's running away from you. Yes, he's running away and he shoots the taser again. But at the end of the day, he's still running away. And you decide to shoot this man in the back while he's running away from you. At the end of the day, throughout history, shooting somebody in the back is a cowardice move. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he had no weapon no lethal weapon that was you the officers had the lethal weapons so these days i feel like people who would say the all lives matter or blue lives matter of course they matter but they argue different points now yeah <laughs> and yeah. and that's where the frustration comes in to play for me yeah I, yeah. I think a lot of people who say all lives matter don't actually realize that all people are asking for is equality and, and by doing so, no one's asking for some, for like black people to push other people down, right? They're, they're just asking to be given the necessary boosts for an even playing field. Like at the end of the day, I think when people say all lives matter and to bring it to South Asian context, a lot of people say Brahmin lives matter, which is like an upper caste thing, yeah. right? I just think people in the day just need to read a book speak to a black person, like speak to a Dalit <laughs> person, just educate themselves on the horrors colonialism imposed on the majority of the world. And this ties in so nicely into everything we've been discussing with the privilege and the statute. It's like when people are outraged about this, it's because something like history is just so colonized in our curriculum that if we need, we need to decolonize it so that we can actually understand the extent of the impact slavery has on black people today. The extent of colonialism, the ramifications that holds in today's world. Yeah. Has I, everyone here seen or heard of the documentary 13th on uh, Netflix? Heard of. Yeah, I've seen it. Heard of it. I haven't seen it yet though. Yeah, haven't okay. seen it yet. Yeah, I would, I would suggest that if you can watch it, watch it. It's, uh, it just kind of gives you a great summary of like how things happened, you know, you know, from slavery to, you know, segregation and how things, how basically how the system kind of uh, pivoted things once slavery was over. Yeah. So just a quick point that I'll throw in. Um, so, cause a lot of my thinking then is to, um, all right. So we've seen a load of um, educational resources flying about the net about how to talk to your parents about um, anti-blackness. This is from a um, South Asian point of view here. Um, so loads of them going around. Um, I'm just trying to see well, what's the feedback? What's going on? What are people saying? What are people struggling with? What are the, what are the conversations that we need to start changing it to? Because um, this, this is the real way that I think we're going to make change. And I don't think change is, it's, it's not all about um, uh, making sure that the our amamas and our 60-year-old parents and people like that understand it. But um, I think it's it's great if we're able to start bringing them into the conversations along with the with the youth as well, too. But that's just me, right? So does anyone want else want to say anything about the um, this All Lives Matter? Has anyone else had any interesting um, conversations about it? Like I said, I've had a, a white friend tell me about it. I've seen brown people. I, I've seen a lot of it. It, it feels really self-centered it's like people saying well he's getting more attention than my life is getting so that's not right what about my life yeah uh, yeah can i jump in there really i don't know what they're looking for yeah 
Just, I had one thing to say. I think it's very important for them to realize that they're very fortunate and they should be grateful for people who don't have to fight for their rights. They don't have to fight to have um, a fair ground, um, equal rights and everything. You should just be grateful for the platform you already have and not be upset that kind of the attention is being taken or whatever. Mm. I feel like it's um, what I think of when I see people saying all lives matter is that it, the thing I think of is how uncomfortable does it make you to say it, black lives matter? Like, yeah. that's really what comes to mind. It, yeah. it's a comfort. Like, and that's a problem. That's a problem that people are so uncomfortable to just say, you know what, black lives do matter. Like, I feel like, I mean, what, what did we have to say black lives matter to? to make people feel more comfortable. I like, I just don't understand. I think it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, Crazy. And I think it's, yeah, it's about, you know, when people do say that, that's when you have to just take that as a, all right, time to educate, you know? Um, yeah, so that's absolutely I crazy. I think about the, um, I think about things like the, the NFL, um, uh, Colin Kaepernick and stuff like that. Like, so um, he was wrong then, but now you're trying to put out a statement that says, um, what he was saying was actually right. And you know what? He should be playing in the NFL. Yes. Let's get him on a team. Owners, sign him up. And it's just like, and that's this whole bit that I'm talking about where the organizations and, and the, um, the brands, they're trying to jump in to be with the bandwagon. And so they want to put their own Black Lives Matter statement out. Um, sometimes it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work based off the track record. And you got to keep in mind, a lot of the people are doing that now because it's it's the cool thing to do. Now, for nothing, if Roger Goodell would have included in his statement saying that, you know what, Colin Kaepernick, he didn't even mention Colin Kaepernick, you know, <laughs> being yeah. right or, you know what I mean, or or peacefully protesting or saying, hey, we, we're going to do everything in our, in, our, in, in, in our power to get him on a team or something like that. Because that, you know, that is... Uh, is the beginning stages of what we got going on today. You know, same thing with Eric Garner here in New York City five years ago. If those officers were uh, arrested sooner and charged, you know, maybe the officer who, uh, who, who, who killed George Floyd might have thought twice before keeping his knee on his neck for eight minutes and 36 seconds or however long it was. You know, mm. so. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so, um, go. Sorry, someone was going to jump yeah. in. Just to jump in really quick about the all eyes matter. Not going. Um, I think you know something to when people say that to me, I think it's important to acknowledge that is um, a ratio of black people. Um, I think that is also rooted in anti-blackness, um, especially yeah. saying all lives matter, police lives matter is anti-black because it stemmed from. Uh, black people saying black lives matter and then police were like well police lives matter um whereas they wear a uniform for 48 hours or however long um but we wear black skin every day so there's like a big um anti-blackness in that as well um and so i think it's important too when people say all lives matter like acknowledging like that 
black people are literally dying every day from institutionalized racism and systemic oppression that doesn't affect uh, like all lives. Um, it's just particularly um, and the statistics are there too. Um, so you know, if you're having a conversation with someone that's like, well, all lives matter. Um, hand, you know, Google's a really great resource to say here. Look at all these statistics uh, showing that you know how disproportionately black people are affected by uh, school to prison pipeline, mass incarceration. Um, the list goes on and on. Um, you know. 100%. All I'd say is like, um, okay, tell me, um, tell me, so because somebody's saying um, brown lives matter, tell me the um, the brown people who have been killed at the hands of the police. Um, mm. I can't do it. Um, some other people can probably do it a lot better than I can, but um, yeah, uh, like some of these things, it's just like it's just ridiculous. It's like I have this hashtag in my head because I know the person was killed by the police. And that's it. That's how you remember it. Um, and I don't feel like it's that way for other other races, to be honest. Yeah. So, um, so back to my conversation I was having with a friend as well, too. Same white friend as well, too. I got <laughs> on to, um, to describing white privilege to him. And I remember the, the first time that I mentioned white privilege to him, he was almost like flabbergasted. He, he almost like he had never heard of it. And I think he was taking it too personal to the point that it was like, well, I've worked for everything in my life. I've No one's given me anything. But that's not what I'm personally actually saying from white privilege. I'm just saying there is this privilege out there. It doesn't just happen for white people. It can happen for brown people. It can happen for black people. It can happen for anybody. But you need to be able to acknowledge this privilege yeah so what um does anybody have has anyone had similar um situations where they're trying to describe what wife privilege is to somebody and they just don't get it yeah i work in a college system so a lot of white students i get young white students they're like I worked hard for, you know, like everything. Um, and uh, that comes with, um, you know, thinking about Helm's theory of like white racialization is um, they don't, they feel guilt and shame. And then that turns into anger. Like I deserve it. Um, you know, and having that conversation is just important saying, you know, um, your privileges, like, yeah, you know, you might've got there with effort, but also there's a ton of systems in place to uplift you as a white person, um, or, you know, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, especially trying to teach them when they're students and they're younger um, is important. Like um, just the concept of uh, privilege violates, basically violates everything that we're taught about the American dream. And people don't like that. It goes against their grain. Um, mm -hmm. So it's important that when people look at their privileges, um, they're identifying, you know, the areas where um, they perpetuate uh, like oppression um, and then also identifying where they have power and access to actually change that. So I think that's mm -hmm. important to teach people about what privilege is without making them, um, you I know, actually think, getting around. I actually think privilege is part of the American dream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually think it's yeah. part of the American dream because um, it is um, recognizing that your network is um, special enough and important enough to get you ahead in life and if you recognize that, then milk it. And that's what and that's what I mean. That's where I'm coming from. If you recognize that, milk it and go for it. It's very hard because why would a white person want to take tear down this system that they've benefited from for so long? True. No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you from that angle. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
I'm with you. Yeah. I think um, uh, where I come from, from, from my conversation that I had with my friend, it's um, he is, he, for example, coaches high school students. So I already know um, a black student could come up to him at some point in time and ask him, um, man, I'm really down on this um, stuff that's going on with the police. What do you think, coach? You know what I mean? And what is he going to say to them? Is he going to say, um, well, you know what? Everybody, you know, black people have more encounters with the police. Um, they're, they're committing more crimes. So, do you know what I mean? It's just like, there's a lot that goes into it. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay, we talked about white privilege quickly. Okay, so cultural appropriation. Fancy, fancy word for basically stealing somebody else's shit, right? Yeah. Um, taking someone else's shit from their culture and trying to make it your own. Let's call it, um, let's call it cornrows for a bit. Let's call it, um, let's call it henna for a bit. Let's call it, um, let's call it, let's call it, let's call it, um, let's call it yoga for a bit. Right. Let's talk, let's talk about vegan, veganism for a bit, something like that. Right. So stealing somebody else's shit. Right. (laughs) So, um, so one of the things that's crazy for me, and I was listening to um, KRS-One, um, You Must Learn, 1995, right? He was talking about white people using the N-word, right? Mm. And so that, that's what the cultural appreciation that I'm touching on right now is. So from what I understand, um, use of the N-word um, in South Asian community is pretty rife. It's... Um, Something people do, you see females doing it, you see males doing it. Um, wh- what is it? What is it with this, right? What, what do you say to people who are intent on culturally appropriating the N-word and trying to bring it into the community? What do you Can think? I jump in here? Yeah, uh, go on. I think this ties in very nicely to the previous question. Because um, so under a white supremacist society, it's easy to think of race in binary terms, white, black. For South Asians, our community clings to aspects that align us with whiteness, skin color, education, house, citizenship, visas, et cetera. These are the values pummeled into us by, um, as the American dream. But by virtue of doing this, brown bodies end up on the opposite side of the black ones. But then we also tend to weaponize our other identity to occupy spaces largely considered black by exploiting co-opting black culture for our own capital and cultural gain. So being able to slip through these cloaks of identity has allowed South Asians to manipulate our presence within each space. So the ability to do that is testament to what white privilege is. This is true across the political spectrum. I'm getting to my point. Um, Mm. I think whether South Asians are at home or in the diaspora, we have negated to understand the lived experience of being black. Like everyone here has mentioned, the specific inherited generational trauma that comes with the color of one's skin. So we position ourselves closer to blackness in an attempt to feel something that always seemed familiar but was an arm's length away. So whether we're children of immigrants, as we attempt to integrate into a new culture or we're living in South Asia, we don't see ourselves reflecting the cultural world around us. And then we end up using the word and exploiting the culture. But it's not like we're living in a world after discussion around these topics, right? Our knowledge of both history and race-based issues is expanding really quickly. 
we're having new conversations in real life and online about it every single day. But it still remains true because South Asians, as a community, see Black culture, especially African-American culture, as something to exploit, to climb up the ladder towards whiteness. I have had friends put so, their hands... You think so? Right? Yeah, think I've, so? Had, I've had friends put their hands around my neck when I have called them out for using the N-word. Mm. And then they post a picture saying, Black Lives Matter. So the contradiction there is really apparent for me, at least. Like, because their defense to that was, I have a Zimbabwean friend and I am allowed to use that word. Yeah. Which to me makes zero sense. I think to you, you might agree with that as well. Like, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. Yeah. Like, I've never been in a situation where a person has said to me, do I get the pass to use the N-word, right? Exactly. I was See, just I, I, like, I think what, what, what South Asians tend to forget, and like I'm including myself in this because there's no way I'm exempt from this. I am someone who used to use the N-word in high school and like before educating myself, realized how terrible that was. But I think the weight of history on the shoulders of brown people is different to the weight of history of what black people have had to suffer. Like they're both equally important, but each is a battle the other has had to face, right? Like the other hasn't had to face, sorry. Hmm. But because South Asians tend to gravitate towards whiteness in so much of what we do, it ends up, we end up doing that by climbing over the backs of black people. And one of the ways we do that is the appropriation of African-American culture, especially, and the use of the N-word. About anybody else have any, like anybody else have any experiences towards that or thoughts towards it or before I jump in? I, I haven't had, um, direct experiences with it my my own feelings towards it is i've never been one to use the n-word um yeah i can't say i've never said it i might jokingly say it or yeah. recite it with like Some, sometimes sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta pull it out of the bag though right yeah i mean yeah <laughs> but um you know my feeling towards it is it's just a word that carries so much. Yeah, I mean, people can have that argument that we've changed it and turned it into something that's a little bit more endearing. But to me, it's just always something that makes me feel uncomfortable. And seeing people who are non-Black saying it, I just, to me, I'm like, how can you even feel comfortable saying it? Um, so I feel like there's that, but there's this whole argument. And I've, I've had conversations with people where they've been like, you know, someone like J. Cole or Drake, who's mixed, black, white, can say it, but logic can't say it. And then I'm at that point where, where is the logic to that? Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, I can't get how some people can get a pass and some people can't, but we're saying that it's a black word. And I think that it's a very controversial topic. I don't think that you're going to find a lot of people who are gonna say, you know, we're not gonna say it anymore we're just going to try to get rid of it because of the negative history that it carries and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I choose not to say it. And I tell people around me, you know, I'd rather you not call me that or, you know, say it too much around me, but I don't think there's too much you can really say. I mean, people are going to say what they want to say. It's all in the movies. It's all in the, in the rap songs and stuff like that. So that's just my two cents. Mm -hmm. I, you know what, I've associated like uh, minorities in general, like 
I have close friends that are Indian. I have close friends that are Latino. Um, but as Drew was saying, if, if, if you gravitate towards, let's call it, you know, white supremacy, you know, at some points in your life, and then you try to appropriate black culture, that's when I have an issue. Um, like you can't, you can't have all of our rhythm and try not to have any of our blues. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that was beautiful. Thank you. That was really beautiful. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's what I think about when I hear these. Like my, like my Indian friends, you know, we, we use it amongst each other as well, but I don't look at them like they're appropriating the culture because, it, it, you know, I know them and it, it, I don't see color. You, you know, know, what I mean? you know, though, you know they're, you know they're down for the cause, yeah? What's that? You know they're down for the cause. Correct, correct. I, and, but I also know that there are some Indian people and some Latinos who aren't. Mm. And that's when I'm like, all right, uh, like I think I, I, there was this uh, Dominican girl who worked for, I think, I forget what party city or something like that. And she went on a rant on Facebook talking about, uh, black people this and nigger with the er she said just just talk so strong about how she hated black people and obviously she got fired but it's like you are a latin woman don't you know being a latina you have a certain amount of african in you you know what i mean like it's it's, it's a part of your culture as well so you yeah. you know that you're hating on yourself and when i feel you know indian people like you you, you know indian people have had to go through their own situations where you know just like black people have so if you want to be down one you know 25 percent of the time that's not cool but you got to know your you, i guess the people that you associate with you got to know their hearts and how how they maneuver how they roll you know yeah yeah <laughs> i've yeah. i've um so i spent three years living in india as an adult and i spent a lot of time with the kind of people we're actually discussing, you know, um, I've sat across the table from several people who have defended their right to use the N-word because they consider themselves an oppressed minority in the West while living in India with an incredible layer of privilege. Bogus. And, 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 and I, I think it's really baffling that this is, yeah. this ignorance of, um, you know, like exactly what you were saying, Marco, like picking and choosing of deciding when to be brown and when to be with black people, when to be white. It's because we, we have these cloaks of identity we can just switch in and out of because we are neither black nor are we white. So we can just gravitate towards each one when we choose to. And it becomes really, um, I think it's really detrimental to the cause that, um, that any cause that we're actually trying to do right now. I think that the N-word ha still has way too much power in it for, you know, non-Black people to be using it. Um, I've been, for example, uh, by, you know, in high school, uh, I was called, I was told that I have N-word lips by a Latinx person, right? Um, and so there, I feel like... Uh -huh. a, la a Latina person? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think that, you know, using the N-word is rooted in anti-Blackness because there are anti-Blackness, uh, like, amongst not only white people, but um, other people of color in general who are non-black, right? And as I think that if that's still there, then there's way too much weight in that word for it to just be kind of like screwed around and things like that. 
Um, and I think it's hard for some people who might, you know, have a black friend and they're like, well, they said, they said I could use that word. Um, and so they think every black person might think, oh, it's okay when, you know, it's not. And so I think it's just important to, you know, ask like, if, you know, ask if that black person is comfortable with it. For example, I'm not comfortable with a non-black person using that word. Um, again, I think that it's really interesting because I know like, for example, a lot of white folks will be like, well, why yeah. can't I use it? Like I want it, um, but it's not yours to have, right? Um, and I think that's just 100%. so important to acknowledge um, just because of the way the, the world, the word still holds because of the systemic 100%. racism that we still endure every day. Um, that word. I'm just like, sorry, for me, it's like my, um, my parents, again, like I said before, they came from Uganda, um, came to the States in 75. So for them, imagine like people in the States like um, argue about how much black cultural history they learn. So imagine people from another place saying like, you guys are actually using this word to just say what's up to somebody? Like, no, I don't, I don't, I have, I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about and I don't understand this at all. So that's where they were from. Um, for me, I personally never felt, um, I mean, I'm not wed to it. I'm not going to wake up in the morning and just think like, let me call my guy up and be like, Hey, what, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not in my vocabulary. My whole thing is like, um, especially when South Asians feel like they want to use to it, come up with a different language. Let's do something different. Let's be on some like um Yo, we've got so many let's words. Let's be on some like unique comments. <laughs> we we have so like, many let's words. Let's be on some like cool cut of chai type. We have so we can say yeah. Yeah, why? we can listen to this. I use this word. Like you don't need this word. Come up with some other shit, you know? That's it. Yeah. yeah. There is yeah. no reason why you need to hang on to this word and use it in your everyday like people talk about like um mm. Um, use positivity in your language. Don't be negative during the day. So like you want to bring up this like old word that's like um, has so much negativity, waste the time. Mm -hmm. Think of some, do something else. Stop wasting your time. That's me. Yeah, Joan, I'm, I'm, I'm just wary that we have seven minutes before the Q&A and we have a few more questions. Cool. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, fine. So um, we talked about that. Um, okay, being an ally. Being an ally. Some of us are in uh, blending relationships on the phone here, I think. Are we? Yeah. Black and Indian relationships? Lala? Yeah. Are you? Okay. So does being in a black and Indian relationship make you an ally? Do we, do we, do we feel that or is it more than that? I think I am. I mean, yeah. But I think that there are a lot of people who don't think so. And that's been problematic. Um, I've seen, you know, the Shade Room, they're pretty vocal about what they have to say. And if you look at some of the comments, like they had posted something, um, I think it was Michael B. Jordan. And, you know, he's really been out there fighting the fight and the, um, and the, the protests and stuff like that. But then you look at the comments and they're like, oh, he can go back home to his white girl, like, or his white woman. And they're like, it's just like, so does him and his partner <laughs> who he wants to date really take away from the fight that he's fighting, he still identifies as a black man. So mm. I, I just don't understand that logic. Um, apparently you can't be pro-black if you choose to date outside your race. And I don't agree with that, but I mean, that's, that's something that the black community definitely has to address too. You know, that's a problem mm. within our own. 
circle. I don't agree with it either. I do appreciate, I appreciate it more when I see a, a, a mixed couple and the, let's say the white person in the couple is, is repping Black Lives Matter or, you know, or even or, like, I, I look for that actually. <laughs> Cause I do, I have friends that are, are, that are in mixed relationships and I haven't seen them say too much. I have a, my, my boy's old girlfriend is now with a white police officer. And she's actually, she, she's black and she's, I guess, fairly dark skinned. But she hasn't said anything regarding this. And, and that bothers me because mm-hmm. I know that if she was still with my boy, you know, she would have a voice. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what, what's really taking place there now? I appreciate it when mixed couples, both, you know, both individuals are taking a stance, you know? Uh, I think I also being part of a mix... Oh, sorry, no, please continue. No, 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 sorry, please. just go ahead. I'll, I'll take after you. Um, I was going to say, I think being part of a mixed race couple, you are bound to face some kind of racism at some point. One of the yeah. parties will face something. And I think to still be a part of that relationship, a part of that partnership after those kind of moments just speaks volumes to that partnership. So to actually negate a relationship based on skin color is actually detrimental to what we're all discussing, which is intersectionality between race and culture, right? For equality for all. So it just feels very, I don't know, for me personally, like I, like I, I have a white partner, so it feels very like, I've, I've, had Insta- I've had people comment on Instagram, for example, about them just being like, about her being like, can't believe you're dating a white person, which, which, which is really baffling to me because it's like, I can still be politically inclined, but choose to date who I want because they fall into the political aspects that, are really, that I'm really passionate about. So I just want to say, so my husband is a Nigerian. And uh, to add to what you were just saying, that um, once in a relationship, like when you face in a in, in a mixed relationship, you face a lot of uh, racism that you've the, from the your, your communities or whatever. And I feel like once you overcome that, you as a couple have strength strengthened in a way that now you know it's it's a testament of your love. So I think that's uh, probably one aspect of um, relationships that um, probably is only available to mixed couples. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just um, overcoming this. Um, it, it's really it's something that strengthens you. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody else want to chime in? Um, I come from like a multicultural um, household. So my mother is white, but I still identify as a black woman just because I feel like when I walk in the world, I, that's what people see me as. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's been really interesting, um, especially because like, for example, Loving Day, Loving Day was what, two weeks ago? Um, yeah. It's just like crazy. When my parents were children, they couldn't get ma- like be married back then, right? Like, um, and so I think it's so important. And like this conversation kind of reminds me of like when when like having mixed kids right um making sure that you know being a good ally is recognizing that your child may not be for example all white or all black or whatever um but also it's important as an ally as a parent to like to understand 
the importance of um, loving your your child's like blackness and whiteness and things like that. So I think that it's it's so powerful, and I I think it's so important that um, people are really starting to understand like you you know you're not anti-black if you're in an interracial relationship. I think if anything that shows like your strength and like how people in this world is changing. So I think it's really great. Magical. We're just jumping to towards the um the, the conversation here. Um, um, something that I that I probably wouldn't share with everybody is um, um, and I've been thinking about it a lot, really. But I I didn't share it with anybody. But um, what have you learned from what have you learned about yourselves um throughout this whole process? What have you learned about yourselves throughout this whole George Floyd kind of um anti-blackness um. Uh, rhetoric in the South Asian community. What what have you? What's the most important thing that you've gleaned from this moment? So can I just jump in one second here? Yeah, go on. Yeah, so uh, I just had a thought the other day. Um, you know how like there's a very common like form of uh, prayer or thought that uh, people say that um, give me the strength to accept what I cannot change. And the other day yeah. uh, we were um, I was just reading the news and you know it just occurred to me that. But at some point, you got to stop and think that you also have to have the strength to change what you cannot accept anymore. So, I don't know. That's just a thought I had the other day. No. Go on. Say that again now. Say it again. So, um, that you cannot change the things yeah, that you... Yeah, so we usually, like, you know, the, I, think, I think the common word goes that give me the strength to change what I cannot, uh, to, uh, to accept what I cannot change. Yeah. And I thought, like, how about give me the strength to change what I cannot accept anymore? Mm. I'm with you. I get you. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in there? Um, yeah, go on. This actually ties into what you were asking earlier, uh, Jonah, about whether us talking about, South Asians talk about anti-Blackness takes away from the focus yeah. of the BLM movement. Um, I think the reason... I'm, I'm saying this is because of our phone call the other day, but it, it just feels like it, in these moments, like there's a trend to discuss anti-blackness or like when a visible black death occurs. But I believe, and I, I think this panel is actually a really great exception to this rule that the South Asian community does not center black voices when discussing anti-blackness. Agree. Actually, I agree. I, agree. Actually, I, I think I agree with that. A hundred, a hundred yeah. and twenty-five percent. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the biggest problems for me. If, because when things are newsworthy, we talk about skin whitening cream, the problems in Bollywood. We we talk about all these things. It becomes a tired cycle. But then there are no black voices. And then the things we actually need to talk about: Bollywood cast, skin whitening creams, uh, appropriation of culture. We need to be discussing these things every day. And we need to be discussing these things back home. We need to be, we have enough problems at home that I can't even begin to start naming them, right? That's where we need to be vocal. And that's where we need to be talking about the issues. But when it comes to anti-blackness in our community, when it comes to the BLM movement, we just need to stand alongside you guys. But shut up and pass you guys a microphone, which is what I'm going to do now. But yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think that... Um, and and I've and I've probably felt this a lot. Um, like obviously, you know the cause that I'm that mm-hmm. I'm fighting for, and um, a lot of ways that I probably interact with people um, from 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 a starter. So um, one thing that I always tell people that I'm you know getting on with um, well and talking about is that um, 
a lot of people and organizations don't want to be the organization that breaks it to the South Asian community that it is okay to date um, uh, interracially and date outside of your culture. So I've noticed that a lot of people haven't been willing to engage in conversations with us um, Mm -hmm. prior to this time. Obviously, after um, the George Floyd situation has happened and it's became much more newsworthy and it's relevant and it's on trend. Um, loads of people want to talk, but um, I don't well, want to talk to be people. there in like six months. That's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, because, because the whole thing for me is what, what's next? Yes. What is next after um, people remove that, um, that, that Black Lives Matter um, URL from their IG profile? What is next? What are you going to do? Are you going to be talking to your parents? Are you going to be fighting for Black Lives? Are you going to be advocating for Black Lives? What are you going to do mm-hmm. to change this narrative? Mm-hmm. I agree. It's like we can give a big one-off donation right now, but I, I believe donations should come monthly. I believe things like this need to be coming daily, monthly, yearly. We can't just have moments anymore. Like I'm tired of moments. I, I want the daily work. Nobody else anymore for anymore. You guys are contemplate everybody. Gals, and gals. <laughs> very contemplated. Yeah, just. Sat I, think, back. I think Cam just said, "Let's take questions." Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. We got a question from the group. Yes. So we have three questions lined up. All the attendees, if you have a question, please raise your hand on the Zoom, and I will unmute you and allow you to talk for yourselves. As for typed questions, we have one. Um, can you ask the panel to any? of you remember or are any of you old enough to remember the Rodney King attack and the police um, who were involved who got acquitted for that brutal beating and like what did it what did it mean to you um, and it kind of explained it to us who, who have been, been alive during then. Let me jump in on this so I think I was probably like 12 or 13 at that time maybe less than that um, um, got the got the shit kicked out of him and um, Obviously, he got off. Now, if you think about when that happened, 91, 93, whenever it was, people are still getting away from that nowadays. So nothing has changed. Um, I see a lot of people talking about, oh, yeah, reform is needed. Let's do it. Okay, we've been waiting on reform for 30 years. So um, I'm not ready to wait for that type of reform anymore. Um, Let's be drastic. Um, when you're, whenever you're negotiating, you don't just say that you want an extra dollar. You go for the whole bag. So let's go for the whole bag. And that's where my thinking is with all this. That's yeah, me. I agree with you. I agree with you, Jonah. I, I was a kid too. Um, I do remember, I mean, I've, you know, researched that. It's, it kind of set the precedence, I guess, because that was the first time I feel like in this country, well, maybe not the first time, but for it to be on video uh, and you seeing police officers just blatantly beat this man who wasn't trying to fight back or defend himself, uh, it, it set the tone. <laughs> I mean, the tone has been set <laughs> 400 years ago, but it, you know, just with the, the nature of law enforcement and, and the way that they view black people and people of color, uh, it, yeah, nothing has changed, which is why, you know, it's unfortunate. I, I've been involved in uh, numerous protests as of late and they've all been peaceful, but with the rioting that's been taking place, I don't, I don't condone it, but I don't condemn it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, 
I, I understand it because well, rioting is the way that this country kind of was built <laughs> in mm. reality. Hundred, hundred. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, I'm there. Especially when I've seen some of the um, the people who have been doing the destruction. And a lot of times it's been like yeah. people who have no link to the movement at all. They're just people out there who are just wanting to like, just just mess shit up for no reason. Yeah, and that, that troubles me also, even with the Rayshard Brooks situation, the day or two after, you know, they, they tried to burn that Wendy's down and it was a white woman who tried to do it and they caught her on video. And it's like, I don't know, are you, are you upset about the situation or are you doing this because you know that black people are gonna get blamed for it? You know, it makes mm. me question. All right, we have another question. You had mentioned that you're frustrated when you see that your white friends are failing to respond to critical moments, seeing that this is just another day for them. What would be some examples of constructive actions that you would like to see more from the white community? I'm guessing this one's for Dhruva. This question was for Dhruva or whoever else brought this up. I got, I got one. Let me, let me start this one off. Okay. So I have um, the white friend I talked about. He's actually a um, varsity um, soccer coach. Okay. So at some point in time, he will have, even though the town's 70, 75% white, he may have a black or um, Hispanic or Latino um, student who comes up to him and asks him for some guidance. Please direct him in the right way. Please let him know what is actually going on with this. Do not do not come up with some some bogus bullshit statement about um, white privilege and all of this stuff being off to something else. Right. So um, that's what that's what I'm talking about. Use your privilege, even if you are just a, a senior manager in a um, financial institution. What um, what um, people of color voices can you uplift? What can you teach somebody? What can you teach somebody over the weekend? What can you teach somebody just once a month? You know, go out of your way to actually use your privilege to change somebody else's life. That's, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. That's what the whole privilege thing is about. You recognize, and I, and I know that I'm privileged. Even the fact that my father came from Jinja in Uganda, he was studying by candlelight, he was walking miles to his class. Like, I'm still privileged. We are still privileged. And therefore, I want to share that with other people. I, I often think about, when I think about white privilege, um, the video that went up, um, I forget what city it was. It was one of the protests after George Floyd's murder, where the young black man was kneeling um, with a face mask on and the cops were advancing on him and they were advancing in a very threatening manner. And the woman, a white woman came from the crowd and stood in front, it was from DC, someone said, stood in front of him and took him back into the crowd. And the cops, as soon as she stepped in front of him, you could see the guns starting to lower. Mm. The, their postures were less threatening. So those are, I think, like what white people can do comes in a massive spectrum, right? There's that, that's one end. I think another end could be something as simple as when your white friends do something problematic, just call them out. We're, you've probably let it slip so many times before. Mm. Stop letting it slip. Mm. Even with just like using the N word, like we we're talking about before, right? So exactly. all of a sudden you take a stance to it and it's just like, you know what, why are you, why are you saying that? Like I, I like I personally, um, if at times um, I'm running an account, um, there's a person, they're 
Um, they look semi-attractive. Okay, let's follow you. All of a sudden, they're throwing the N-word about, and I'm just like, I feel nauseous, right? And I'm just thinking, why, out of all of the words that we have to our um, disposal in the, in the dictionary, why do we need to use this? Why? Okay. Well, that's me. Last, last question for now. Yeah. Do you yeah. guys feel the more that we address and state our differences could be a negative? The current movement is definitely louder than any other time. But you guys talk about how addressing our differences is good or bad. I like to celebrate that personally, but sometimes it feels it's like another way to divide. Any thoughts? Yeah, I can um, touch on this. Um, I I think that our country in general, we like to, like, we're taught individualism, right? Um, we're taught that our struggles are, you know, all different. But at the end of the day, we're all, you know, people of color in general are oppressed under one person, which is usually a white guy, right? So I think that it is important to, um, you know, like, celebrate you know, your differences um, and work together at the same time. Like collectivism is the way to get radical liberation and, and um, things like that. So it's, it's so important to um, celebrate those differences, but also it's not a bad thing to, um, you can still like come together. But, all right. Well, th- I guess this concludes this part of the program. Um, right on time. Thank you guys, each and every one of you for coming out and having this really important uh, conversation. All the points that were mentioned were, we're so valid. I'm glad that there was a little bit of clash on certain things, you know, like let's hash them out, let's talk about it. Um, and these are the kind of things that we want to see more of. Um, so thank you so much for coming out and, you know, like trying to, trying to have the intersection between black and brown conversations and mm-hmm. figuring out where we lie, acknowledging um, where we fall on any given spectrum, whether it's ras- uh, class, um, race, or privilege or any, any of those things. Um, thank you so much. So I'm for sure, for sure. Sorry, right, just let me just say. Yeah. Let me just. Sorry, let me just say one other thing. Like I've noticed as well too from our platform is that um, uh, it was a white guy the other day actually, and um, I think he was a bit kind of alarmed that we were um, uh, promoting solidarity between our groups. Right. So if you think about um, uh, the demographics and what minorities are doing in terms of the old majority and everything like that people aren't going to want to see this. People aren't going to be happy with all of this, right? So um, I think it's up to us just to try to work towards um, togetherness, solidarity, and how we can make um, kind of better futures for, for all of us, really. Absolutely. Well said. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. I do it for my people I gotta be honest With diamonds and pearls Yeah, yeah Bengalis in New York All over the world uh, It's the bony show uh, hey, Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the slang we spit To the gangs we with It doesn't matter We the essence of the Bangladesh I say, hey, come on Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the